0: Now based at Boston College, he's taught in Dublin and France and has written celebrated works on movements in European philosophy and literature. In recent years, he's turned his attention to the battleground of modern belief and non-belief, crystallised in his book An Atheism, Returning to God After God. Meeting up in a busy Dublin bar recently, I started by asking him to explain what he meant by an atheism. Well, it's neither dogmatic theism nor dogmatic atheism. But
1: it's an alternative to both of them. And the word ana in Greek, and we have it in our own words, analogy and so on, uh, simply means again. So it's this idea of the after. And, and then this book that's following, Reimagining the Sacred, the book of dialogues with people working in a similar way, atheists and theists, who I'm in dialogue with, um, re, the reimagining is kind of another way. It's the re, the returning, the reimagining, the retrieving, of some notion, some essential and authentic notion of the sacred and the spiritual, after the death of what I call the God, the Alpha God, of power and might, of theodicy, as it would have been traditionally called, i.e. God has a plan, and God is a punisher, and God is an accuser, and God sends his son as an expiatory victim, a blood sacrifice to atone our sins. That whole kind of God of power and omnipotence, who could save us and didn't save us in Auschwitz is dead as Elie Wiesel said famously uh, God died in the hangman's noose at Auschwitz and I agree that God died in Auschwitz and then intellectually that God died with Marx, Freud and Nietzsche the God of illusion for for, for, for Sartre of infantile illusion you know the big father God who's going to save us all from our weakness the God of power of projected power for Nietzsche the will to power and then for Marx, the god of injustice, the opium of the people. So I'm with both the Enlightenment and the French Revolution and the the atheistic humanist critique of the god of power and punishment, what I call the omni-god, um, who also died in Auschwitz. And then I argue, well, what's left? Can something come back? And that doesn't mean some new-age god out of the future that we invent, but can, can things come back that were there needed to crumble in order to something be reborn
0: and are you responding also to the new atheists as well i mean particular motivation now is there a challenge that they lay down um that you're kind of responding to specifically yeah there is
1: militant dogmatic fundamentalist theism is perfectly mirrored um and not all theism is that obviously Anatheist theism is not that fundamentalist dogmatic variety, but that's mirrored in the new atheism of Dawkins and Hitchens, who I who, you know, admire I think it's really healthy that they're out there, particularly in America, you know, challenging the kind of the dogmatism of the Tea Party. But their view of God is so restrictive. They don't allow for any alternative. They do throw out the baby with the bathwater
0: is part of this a redefinition of God, whether it's a lowercase g, God, or something going back to Voltaire or or a God in nature or another forms? Absolutely. All I'm saying is that God is a word, Augustine said it
1: before me, for what we hope for. right? It's a word we use and that has been used by all wisdom traditions uh, to try and connote this thing we hope for, this thing we long for, this this surplus of meaning that we call mystery um, that is the that is the impossible becoming possible right so Abraham and Sarah conceive a child not possible by receiving a stranger into their midst in in Mamrah Mary makes the impossible possible she says it's not possible to have it she has a child this God is a name given to the impossible becoming possible in aA for example when people cannot give up their addiction one of the twelve steps is to accept your helplessness and then to hand over to a higher power. You can't do it, so something else will do it. And for many people, that higher power is called God. But the interesting thing is, God is a name that is constantly being revised and reinterpreted, not only in different religions, but within those religions. I mean, an example I take in in anatheism is on Mount Moriah. Um, Well, let me just take two primal scenes in Judaism, that the foundation of our Abrahamic religions in the West, Judaism, Christianity, and And uh, Islam, so uh, Abraham receives three strangers. Instead of killing them and engaging in, in tribal warfare, he says, "No, we will move from hostility to hospitality." Same word, hostis, can mean enemy or friend. So he does the impossible. He turns violence into hospitality. The strangers come in. Instead of warfare, violence, therefore bloodshed, there is the sharing of food. And we're told in Genesis. The three enemies became God. So what you got there is a radical shift of, a, of a, a, pa- a former pagan tribal notion of a deity to one which says, no, God is in the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. That's the beginning of Judaism. Moses comes along the next phase, because then that, that kind of God becomes consolidated into an idol. Uh, actually, l- 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 let, me, let me stick with Abraham. Maybe it's easier. It's not like you get God and then you have it forever. When Isaac, who's been given to him as an impossible gift, Sarah laughs because it's impossible. Isaac means, in Hebrew, laughter. He hears a voice that says, take your son and kill him, up to m- top of Mount Moriah, off he goes. The voice comes from Elohim. And when he gets to the top of the mountain, he hears another voice that says, don't kill your son. That's not what God is about. I am a God of mercy, Yahweh. There you see a switch from one God to another, within ten lines of Genesis. That's happening all the time. We have to, I mean, that's the idea of Anna is after. God after God after God. And if you ever stop deconstructing God and then reconstructing God, you get an idol. So you got to see God as a symbol that constantly requires reinterpretation,
0: retrieving, reliving. I mean, the importance there of a sort of continuity, you emphasize, that, that you go back to the past and you learn from the past. You know, the response, that maybe the scientific response, or some, some responses from the atheist side would say, look, you have to actually just start from a clean slate. There's no strength from tradition. There's no kind of authority from tradition. What say to that? People have tried to do
1: that. Rob Speer tried to do it, and we got the terror. Uh, Stalin tried to do it, the, the religion of the new Soviet man, and we got the gulags. Hitler tried to do it, we got Auschwitz, the, divini- the divinization of, of the Aryan man and the Germanic gods. So it's actually a disaster to try and create a religion out of nothing. The need for it is very legitimate, um, but it generally leads to the creation of a, an imaginary projection of the human mind. So if we don't have preceding wisdom traditions to give us some kind of guidance, critical guidance you don't take them, and I argue very much in anatheism for an interreligious. I think Christians need to hear Jews you know, they need Christians need to hear Jews to remind them that God is always still to come Jews need to hear Christians to remind them that God is, the divine sacred is already there in the world, in nature in love, in sex, in the body, in, not that Jews aren't aware of that, but you know, it's an incarnate God, put it like that The Abrahamic tradition, including Islam, needs to hear Buddhism and Hinduism to teach them how to breathe, how to meditate, how to appreciate all sentient beings, you know, etc. So each religion can remind the other religion, not trying to convert it. It's not a model of conversion. It's like Thich Nhat Khan says, you know, the wise Buddhist uh, peacemaker. He says, when people come to me, I don't say, I'll make you a good Buddhist. He says, I will teach you to become a better Christian, a better Jew, a better... Um, Muslim, etc. So it's, it's the the learning more about one's own notion of God by opening oneself to strange gods. The bottom line for me in anatheism is genuine religion begins with the moving from hostility to hospitality. That is to say, openness to the impossible stranger. That's always been the way. Abraham to the strangers, Mary to Gabriel, who is a stranger, Jesus himself to the
0: Samaritan woman, the Phoenician woman Jesus himself has to learn to be divine Do you feel it's a somewhat, or a critic might say it's a somewhat selective view of religious scripture, that you're picking the, the nice bits, if you like the, 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 the welcomingness to the stranger you know, one could equally pick out some awful um, uh, doctrine and awful teaching and, and say this is what, what unites of course,
1: you could. of course you could, but that's what the Bible is from
0: beginning to end it is, it's a question of constant revisions. Constant revisions.
1: Even in the two pieces I cited for you, you get the movement from one God to another. Always, every time a prophet comes, it's to denounce the, the the idolatry that has congealed God into So it's constantly saying, you have to choose. You have to make distinctions. You have to leave the God of violence and choose the God of love and justice and openness to the stranger. Of course it's a choice. Of course it's selective. It has to be selective. Otherwise, one is uncritical, one is a dogmatist. Athanasius decides in the 4th century, these are the canonical texts. And there's a big row, are you going to include St. James or not? Well, Paul says salvation comes from grace, James says it comes from works, so you leave the contradiction in. And then somebody else comes along and changes that, you know, and, and that's the way it works. The canon is being changed. The, the, the Hebrew Bible was only written down uh, 200 years before Jesus, and then consolidated 200 years after. You know, it's basically an oral tradition of constant interpretation. That's the Talmud. Talmud is, as they say, there. Ha- there are ten different readings to every line of the Bible. I mean, I grew up uh, being taught there was one reading, and there were Protestant, you know, evangelical sects that are even stricter than the Catholicism that I learned. I also learned another kind of Catholicism from the, the Benedictines in Lentstall, which really taught me how to think, and began, I remember our first religious doctrine class was uh, Father Andrew Nugent who said, "Now you're going to read Freud, Marx, Nietzsche, Siemens de Beauvoir, uh, Sartre, and if you still believe in God we can have a serious conversation. But you've got to begin with atheism. Christ on the cross was an atheist when he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because he had to give up the idea of a God who would come down and save him from the cross. That was an idol that Jesus himself was subject to, even up to, and then he lets go of that God, right? and opens himself to the God of life and love. And he goes from there, unto the ecumen of my spirit. So it's happening within Christianity, not just the history of Christianity, which is constant reformations, counter-reformations, interpretations, conflict of interpretations, and that's good. Democracy is good as a conflict of interpretations. As soon as you get one, you're gone. And Jesus' life is constantly about learning. It's an apprenticeship to the stranger. He's the stranger for us, and he constantly meets strangers who keep him open to, to the divine.
0: I mean, I think you might have answered this, but if I asked you um, what's your impression of God, or what's your idea of God, if you picture it in your mind's eye, what is it? Oh, it's the, it is the vulnerable, fragile stranger who knocks and
1: invites us to more life. And there's nothing particularly new about that. That's not some new age religion that's the three strangers knocking at abraham's tent it's gabriel knocking at mary's room boudoir it's uh, as jesus says in um, in the gospel in matthew 25 it's the person who was hungry the person who's thirsty hospice he uses the word five times i was the stranger who was hungry and knocked at your door and did you open or did you not open it? so that's god walter benjamin has a beautiful line where he says we must consider the messiah we must consider it each instant
0: as a portal through which the Messiah may enter. It's always knocking, every moment. Some of the discussion around this uh, suggests there might be some end point in terms of belief, that ultimately, if we argue ourselves to a point, we'll all agree with one religion, another religion, or no religion. I mean, you seem to approach it that an assumption that we'll never reach that end point, is that right? We'll never reach the end point on either of those fronts, right? in other words,
1: I believe in the equality of all religions but not the sameness. In other words, each religion has a right to express its response to the call. The call is the call to life and the call away from death. What gives life is divine, what does not is non-divine. That's the basic definition. And what is life is always new, therefore it's always strange. Okay. Now, that is something, I believe, as a moment, what I call the Anathias moment, that is common to all religions, but every religion approaches it differently and honors it differently, and each religion needs the other to remain different so that it keeps reminding it of the different ways that that response to the call should be honored. So do you see what I mean? It's like Tyre de Jardin says, union differentiates. There is a communion that is constantly in the process of being created. I'm, I'm very ecumenical, I believe in the coming together of the different voices. But in ecumenism there should, always, there should also be the respect for the different languages, the different ways that that's gone. So my model would be translation. Just as in translation you respect the foreign language in translating it into your own and in accepting the foreignness of the language, you, your own language is revised, so it's this constant back and forth between host and guest languages, host and guest religions. And that's why I suppose the, the, the main models I use for anatheism are translation, and between host and guest languages, and hospitality. But hospitality that recognizes hostility as a constant temptation-danger twin. Do you know what I mean? That if you just say, oh, we should all have hospitality, we should all love each other, then it becomes cheap grace and just an empty slogan. um, And it doesn't work. Hospitality
0: is always difficult. Richard Kearney, thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.